Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. Thank you for being with us today. We're coming to you from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza uh, and Teleport. Uh, we have been doing this Bible study for seven plus years, uh, and we're thankful that you are here. We start a brand new series today. Uh, we just finished Knowing God 25 weeks uh, in that study, and if you would like to go back and, and walk through that, maybe you missed it, you can find it. For those of you that are watching uh, right now on the YouTube channel, you can find that here by clicking on Playlist. Uh, then you can just walk back through the different weeks of our last series, Knowing God. Uh, you can also find the audio-only versions. Uh, if you, you don't like some of the commercials on some of the archives or things like that on the YouTube channel, you can get uh, just the audio-only at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on Listen. And you also can go to both of these places and find multiple Bible studies uh, that we have documented. We don't have the entire library of all seven years there because we didn't start really finding a way to record them uh, until maybe year two or something like that. But most of them can be found there. And uh, I always encourage you to go back and do that on, on times that we're not doing the Bible study or just uh, in your own personal growth uh, as, a, as a follower of Christ. So uh, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to st- step into this. There is a, a series, a trilogy of books, uh, 40-day devotionals, that also are used to uh, create the 40-week curriculums that you can find at themanchurch.com. Uh, this is a men's discipleship strategy and a place uh, for resources, for, for ideas, for support. If you're serious about reaching and discipling the men of your church and your community, uh, we are here to provide those resources. Um, uh, you hear quite often the influence that God has given men, uh, but sadly, uh, there, there haven't been many attempts at providing uh, any kind of strategy to actually reach them and disciple them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Uh, we, under the authority of Christ, are, are, are trying to be in his perfect will and provide those things. So we have a complete strategy for you. Uh, it, you can renew it every year. We have curriculums. We have uh, individual resources. Uh, we have speakers. We have events. Whatever you need, uh, themanchurch.com. So this can be found there. This is the final uh, edition of the How to Be a Man trilogy. Isn't that what we're trying to accomplish in men's ministry? Men are asked the question, uh, who, who does God say that I am? Uh, what does God say about me? Uh, what, what, what roles has, ha, has God clearly given to me as a, as a man? And remember, a lot of times, uh, you know, just because you're a male doesn't mean you're a man. Uh, and there's all kinds of definitions the world gives of what they think a man is, but only Scripture, just like every other topic. Uh, you know, every topic, if you want to find out the correct way it should be done, you find that topic being addressed in the Word of God. So we have our first one. It's called The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. We have our first curriculum called The Pursuit. We have the second one, uh, Real Men of the Bible, which has our second curriculum that just came out called Real Men. And now this is the third one. And this is discovering what it means to be a disciple. Uh, you know, if you want to be part of this Bible study, I don't require that you uh, go and, and purchase this book. But if you'd like to have it, you can get it from themanchurch.com or rickandbubba.com. You'll find it in adult edition. That is what we're going to be going through here in this Bible study. But if you want to maybe disciple your sons uh, that are younger. We also have a student edition of all three of these, uh, so you can actually disciple your own children as you go through it as well. Uh, we have whatever you need. So, so the one we're doing now is discovering what it means to be a disciple. That's the one we're doing now. Uh, so we, you know, we have three of them, and we're doing the third one. Uh, so, uh, so you can walk through that. A couple of things before we jump in on the first topic of, of what it means to be a disciple. Uh, Gridiron Men's Conference this week, uh, if you are listening to this live, uh, or you're, you're listening to this uh, on, the, on the 16th of June, uh, then coming up uh, this weekend, uh, we will be doing uh, uh, the Gridiron Men's Conference in Huntsville, Alabama. Herschel Walker, Ike Reichert, and I will be speaking on Friday night. On Saturday, Jonathan Evans, uh, Gary Chapman, and Phil Waldrop, uh, Charles Billingsley providing a worship with his band. Uh, so there's still, if you want to come, you can, gridironmen.com or you can just get you uh, some tickets while seats are still available uh, at the door at the Probst Arena in Huntsville. And I've gotten emails from you guys coming from all over, so, so make a note of that. I look forward to seeing all of you this weekend. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity because it's clear uh, that this word and, and the English language, disciple, is something you take very serious. Uh, so anything you take serious, we should also take serious. Uh, I hope today, Lord, maybe we start to understand that, that this is not a casual relationship with you. It's not casual. Uh, this, this relationship uh, with, with, with you, Jesus, is, 
is, is transformational, which will be our topic today. Everything changes. And, and I pray today, Lord, that we seriously address that, address that in, in our own life to see if we can truly be called your disciple. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that is what we're going to take on, this word disciple. People, uh, people sometimes kind of push back a little bit. It's sad to say uh, that now, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I think it would be a good ramp for us to jump into what we're doing today. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Really in the culture with the, in which we now live, and, and I know this may offend some people, and I don't, I don't mean for that to happen, but I do want to speak truth. And if the truth offends you, then, you know, now if I've done it the wrong way, then it's on me. But if it's just the truth of the matter that, that bothers you, then that's not something I'm going to be overly concerned about. It's something you may want to address. Uh, but the word Christian has kind of lost its pop. Uh, I, I think if someone asks you uh, about yourself and you say, well, I'm a Christian, I don't think they think very much about that at all. Uh, because the word Christian can mean all kinds of things. We have, uh, we have versions uh, out there that call themselves Christians that, that, uh, that, 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 are, that do not believe in the Bible. Uh, to be inerrant. They even believe there's been other revelations that the Bible say hasn't taken place. Uh, there's people who say they're Christians that take away the deity uh, of Christ. They don't believe he was 100% man and 100% God. There's all kinds of bizarro uh, theologies out there that call themselves Christians. So really, if you say Christian, you really haven't defined what you really are. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. You start taking on the word disciple, uh, and, and if you, if you, someone were to ask you, if you've been redeemed by Jesus, so tell me about your faith, and you were to say this, I am a Bible-believing disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, you have clarified your situation in, in just a few words, and I'm going to tell you, you'll always get a reaction on that. You, Christian makes people perfectly comfortable, but you start throwing around that you're a Bible-believing, you always want to emphasize that, you can even, even bother people by saying you're a Bible-believing Christian. Because that separates you from all the other people who call themselves Christians that are not Bible-believing. You can say, I'm a Bible-believing follower of Jesus. I'm a Bible-believing disciple of Jesus. And you definitely want to include Bible-believing because uh, there's also some versions of Jesus that have been created that are not biblical. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. What does the Bible say about the Bible-believing disciples of Jesus? What does that even mean to say you're a disciple? Now, you've heard this before, but it's important. Uh, in the New Testament... We find the word Christian appears three times, uh, twice in the book of Acts, once uh, in 1 Peter, uh, and, and only Peter finally clarifies that this derogatory statement that those who opposed the church, uh, they would make fun of the disciples of Jesus by saying, call them Christian, meaning that they think they're Messiah-like, they think they're little messiahs, uh, this kind of stuff. And it was a derogatory statement. Peter finally says, look, don't, don't let it be a derogatory statement. Embrace it as a badge of honor. But here's where the Western church has kind of kind of not followed the correct steps. Uh, Dallas Willard talked about this in the Spirit of the Disciplines, which is a Bible study that we also did uh, uh, several years ago, uh, when he said this. He said, when you look at the New Testament, the word Christian appears three times. The word disciple appears 250 times. 250 to three. And, we're, and for some reason, we identify ourselves more with, with the three than we do the 250. Uh, and we also know that Jesus told his disciples to do what? To go make disciples. He didn't say go make Christians. He didn't say go make converts. He said go make disciples. So I think it's kind of important for us to know what a disciple is and isn't, and that's what this study uh, is going to be about because in the New Testament church, no one was called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple, and that's important to note. So we're going to start with the, with the first um, topic, and there will be eight weeks, eight different topics uh, in this in this devotional, uh, and in this devotional, what we did at themanchurch.com is we said not only we're going to do eight different uh, topics on what it means to be a disciple, we're going to have eight different men uh, each take one of those. So so there'll be a different author uh, every time. But let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're just going to go through the Bible because all this does is point you to what the Bible says about it. Uh, you really shouldn't care at all what the eight authors, including me, uh, think about it. You really want to know what we're saying the Bible says about it. Because that's all we're trying to do is point you to Jesus and point you to Scripture. We're not trying to point you to our opinion, our commentary, or to us. And, and if we and if we don't adhere to that, then we fail. So Andy Blanks writes um, um, the, the the first um, um, session in, in this devotional. It's the first five days, but here 
We're going to do it in one Bible study. So if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, let's go to Romans chapter 6. And you've heard us talk about Romans chapter 6 in this Bible study a lot. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Because the first thing uh, that it means to be a disciple, and this is it, disciples have been transformed by Christ. I want you to write down transformed. Underline, transformed. Disciples have been transformed by Christ. I'm going through a mere Christianity again uh, with, uh, uh, with, with a, a young man that I'm mentoring, and, and we're just walking through every word of mere Christianity by, by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis is talking about this when he says, you know, the, the real version of Christianity, the, the Bible's version of Christianity, of being a disciple of Christ, he said, this is not a casual relationship. He, he says, see, I think a lot of times as human beings, we look at, uh, say, that, um, uh, that, that we pictured ourselves as maybe a, a, a shrub or, or some kind of something in your yard that needs a little landscaping, needs a little correction. And we kind of look at Jesus, and, and, and uh, C.S. Lewis uses this analogy, and we say, hey, won't you come over here and trim some of the limbs back, kind of see if you can't shape me a little better and all that. And he says, no, that, that's not being a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is, is when you say to Jesus, come cut this completely down. Jesus shows up, he cuts the whole tree down, the whole bush down, and he plants something completely new. Remember when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, those that want to be my disciples, deny yourselves, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. What he was saying with deny yourself, if you look at the Greek word there, he's not saying be a better version of yourself. And I think that, I know that used to be my attitude. I just don't want to go to hell, but I don't expect you to completely destroy me. What I want you to do is just kind of fix me a little bit and make me a little more palatable uh, so my mama will let me come back to her house. You know, but I don't have any desire for me to be dead and you to live through me. I, I, I want to have some kind of relationship that I can kind of control. Let's not get too drastic about this. That's not, that's not redemption. That's not being a disciple of Jesus. What Jesus said is, you're not going to become a better version of you. You're not going to exist anymore. I'm going to transform you into something that you aren't now, that only I can do. So Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 6, and, and, he, and we're celebrating that we're saved by grace, but listen to what he says in, in the first four verses of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what it's showing. I'm dead. That's what baptism says. Dead, hey, dead, buried with Jesus in baptism, raised to walk, what? In the newness of life. He said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Completely new life. I had the honor of baptizing my niece and nephew uh, uh, this past Sunday. And what, what did we say? Have, do you all understand that, that you have what you're saying to the world right now? Have you repented of your sins? Yes. Have you, have you submitted to the authority of Jesus? Yes. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life to all these witnesses? Yes. Well, based on that profession of faith in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you uh, from now my niece to my sister in Christ, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4. See, that came out of the Bible. So now, so you'll say, well, Rick, do you think that your 12-year-old uh, a uh, niece and nephew was sincere. You know what I say? What Billy Sunday said. We'll see. Now, if they go around and live the way they've always lived, and nothing changes about them, that I would say no. They did not sincerely repent of their sins, and they were not sincere or understood them confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord. And I would say they made a declaration to the world that was false. Now, I'm not talking about they've got it all worked out, you know, like today. But we're going to start seeing if they, if they truly have been made new and have been transformed by Christ. I will watch these two people live differently than the other people who are not renewed. I will see Jesus in them. They won't exist anymore, and they'll mature in the faith. The reason why we know that will happen, and I know that some of the different theologies talk about this, the Bible even tells us that, that for us to become Christ-like, 
If we've been transformed, if we become a disciple of Jesus, Scripture says it is predestined that you will become like Christ. That's going to happen. So if it doesn't, then you're not a disciple of, of Christ. That, that's Scripture. So if you, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, now let's go over to 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, uh, here is Paul, and we know that when we get to 2 Corinthians 13, Paul's going to be telling this church that he's really upset with. He is not happy with the church at Corinth. Why is he not happy? Because he's seen perpetual, deliberate, open sin, living, unchecked, and, and, and unopposed. You know, the first letter to, to Corinthians, he's basically saying, where's the church discipline? Well, why don't you care about the purity of the church? You think you're so, you think we should all just applaud your open-mindedness. Does this sound familiar? We should just applaud your open-mindedness that you've let this sexual sin just run rampant all over the church, but what you're, you're seeing it from the wrong point of view. And this is what we do all the time. I think that especially a lot of Western churches today are more concerned about being in good standing with human beings than they are about being in good standing with Christ. They're more afraid of what human beings are going to do to them than what God's going to do to them. They would rather be at odds with God than to be at odds with people, and that's completely backward. And Paul is saying, have you ever thought about not practicing church discipline? Have you ever thought about the fact that you let this go on? And we're not talking about, he says, we're not called to judge those outside the church. That, that's, that's, that's God. That's not our call. Uh, because we're supposed, they don't know any better. We're supposed to be trying to reach them for Christ, and we don't judge those outside of the church. He says, but we are called to judge those inside the church. So when someone claims to be a disciple of Jesus and they live in opposition to Jesus, we don't let that go. Why? Because we're mean? No. Because we're sanctimonious? No. Because we love Jesus and we love his church. And we won't let anybody blaspheme his church. And you can even get to the point that you actually love the person. Guess guess what Paul taught us? If you'll actually deal with it and actually confront them with their sin, it may be that they are so convicted, they'll actually repent of it. And you know what? The guy that he's so upset with in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, do you realize there's indications in 2 Corinthians that this guy did repent? Because why? Because Paul said, turn him over to Satan. Throw him out of the church. He doesn't belong there because he's going to corrupt the holiness of the church. So now this is that second letter. And this is Paul once again driving home the point. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, in, in verse 17, uh, here's what Paul says about this transformation uh, that is uh, in every single disciple. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, these are not casual. Does this sound casual? So, hey, uh, let me ask you something. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so are you completely a new creation? No, not really. Is the old you still alive and well? Pretty much. So Jesus is so insignificant that you have, you have repented of your sin sincerely. You've turned from sin. You've come under the authority of Christ. God's seed, the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead has now entered your spirit and it's gone from dead to alive. God, the great I am, the beginning and the, in the end, who spoke everything into existence, that power, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has now come into your spirit, and it's changed nothing. You see, you see how stupid that sounds? That's not even possible. You know what we're saying? God has no power. Christ is no big deal. I can actually be his disciple, and he have no impact on me. You, you hear what we're saying about Jesus? And look, I, I did this for a large portion of my life, so I'm talking to you from my own experience. But that's not what Paul said. He didn't say it in Romans chapter 6, and he's not saying it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if you're in Christ, then he is a new creation. Not he might be. He's hopeful to be. So if you're not a, a, not a new creation, you're not in Christ. And that's what I, I, we, I used to do. I do this now, July. Well, now, let me tell you what old Rick would do. But you know what new Rick should really be called if I look at Scripture? Rick in Christ. There's Rick at, outside of Christ, and there's Rick in Christ. There's dead Rick, and there's alive Rick. And, and he says, so you're a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. Not it might come, it'll eventually come, it has come. And I will tell you this, if, you, if we'll just get this, this is back to that abide message that God has given me, and I did preach on that this past Sunday. If we'll just abide in the power of Jesus, he'll make the changes. It's not a new code of conduct. It's not somebody's giving you some handout that says if you do this, it's not do a little better. It's not you need to try harder. You know what it is? Be devoted to Jesus. Just be devoted to Jesus. He's everything, he's all things, and he provides everything. He's so powerful, he really will change you. Why has my attitude and my desires changed about sin? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not in Jesus' presence yet completely. His spirit is in me, but I still have flesh because I have my body isn't dead yet. So we also know what C.S. Lewis said about that. Now the flesh continues to fight. So I have a battle every day, but the one I feed wins. When I distance myself and stop maturing in the faith and I start feeding the flesh, then I have stumbles. But let me tell you what does not exist in the disciple of Jesus who's been transformed by Jesus. Continuous, perpetual, deliberate sin. Stumbles, yes. The disciple will still struggle with sin. Like I said last week, Paul wrote uh, Romans chapter 7. He said, I still struggle because I'm still on this side of, of my glorification. I've been justified, I've been transformed, but I haven't been glorified yet. When I'm in my glorified body, then I won't be battling the flesh anymore. But I'm still battling it. But you know what? I I, I stumble, but I don't lay in it. I don't live a continuous perpetual. Any sin that is still in our life that was continuous, deliberate, and perpetual is still there because we still love it more than we love Jesus, which means we really haven't met Jesus to, to the point that he has become better than that sin. So we abide in him. We pursue him. And, and, and then, you know, what he says, then we become a new creation. So if, if you have your Bible, too, let's go to Galatians uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. I want you to be writing all these verses down because I want you to go back. And, and, and notice right now, I'm not, I'm, we're not doing commentary. We're just reading the Bible right now. What have we said about Bible studies? Be leery of any Bible study that doesn't feature the Bible. So Galatians chapter 2, you know, every now and then somebody calls up a Bible study, and then you look at it, and it's more like a TED Talk, isn't it? Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here's Paul again, now writing to the church at uh, Galatia. He says, I have been, underline this, crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this, this, this got a lot of theology in this. I think we understand I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Buried with Christ. Raised to walk in the newness of life. I, I, he said, pick up my cross daily. I got it. I'm crucified. I, I learned this from, uh, from Ted Trailer uh, down at uh, uh, Olive in Pensacola. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is what he said. He said, every time I get up and I get ready to preach, I literally stand there and put my arms out, and I say, I'm crucified with Christ. Crucify me so that when I go out there, all they see is you. I'm crucified. Nobody needs to be enamored with my personality or the way I do things. May I be crucified in you. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, he said, all right, now, now while I'm still in the flesh, here's how, here's how I defeat the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, not in myself, not in my abilities, not in my self-control. What I do is I say, if I want to see the flesh get defeated, because what is, what is faith? We are saved, which we're about to talk about in a minute, in Ephesians. We are saved by grace through faith. We always leave out the through faith part. We love the grace part. The grace part says, you mean God's just going to forgive me no matter about how awful I am if I ask him to? Well, if you're sincere... But what about the part about by faith, through faith, by grace through faith? Faith's action, right? It, 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 that, that, that's me taking trust in Rick, and I get rid of all trust in Rick, and I put all my trust in Jesus. What, 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 did, what did James say to the church that he was pastor over when he saw the inconsistency in these people's faith? He said, we got a problem in here, so we, let me tell you what some of you need to do. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. By the way, those were the verses that were used by God to save my life. Submit yourself then to God, which I knew I had not done. 
Resist the devil, I certainly had not done, and come near to God, and he'll come near to you. I'd never, I'd never done the prodigal where I said, hey, Father, I'm coming home. I'm topping the hill. And you know what? He said, you said, you come near to me, and then he would say, I'll come near to you. I didn't have to get there. I, he just had to see I was coming. And then he came and met me. That was that sincere heart. He, he cut the ground down between us. I might have just got to the 10-yard line. He came, from the, he came from the other end zone and met me. He might have gone 90. I didn't go but 10. Because I, I can't do what he can do, but he wanted to know if I was coming. And the answer was yes. See, that's, that, you know, we said a thousand times, heroes of faith. Abraham did not have a saving faith in the Old Testament. You know, he was, he was saved by grace through faith too. Now that's some deep theology, but, but let me tell you, when, when God, when God said to Abraham, go, didn't even tell him where he was going, he went. There's the saving faith, not that he believed he should go. See, some people say, well, I believe the right concepts. Well, that ain't going to do you a hill of beans. So did the demons. They believe everything about Jesus. They know more about it than, than I knew for a long time. They knew more about it than the disciples before the resurrection. They got Jesus right when the disciples didn't. So it can't, it's got to be more than that. The, here's the question is, not that you just believe the right things about Jesus. Have you been transformed by Jesus? That, that's the real question. So, so the saving faith was what? I, I move. And so what Paul says is, now that I'm still having to live in the flesh, what I do is I defeat the flesh through what? Faith in the Son of God. I, I, push, I push it all over on Him because He defeats the flesh because I can't. That's a saving faith. If you have your Bible, let's go now to the letter to, the, to Ephesus. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Now let me tell you something. Ephesians chapter 4, you talk about chock full. We could spend a long time uh, right here, but we're not going to. I actually went through a Bible study um, with a friend of mine, Greg Morrison, and my goodness, he stayed in the book of Ephesians. So he, I think we were in four, uh, three, two to four verses for an entire year. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, is, it is a mighty book, and it is full of, uh, of so much that we need. So go to the, the letter of, to, uh, to the Ephesians, and you will see what we're talking about in, in chapter 4, and then we're going to go verse 17 through 24. But if I were you, I'd go ahead and read the whole chapter 4 of Ephesians, but we don't have time for that today. Let's jump into the new life, the transformation that we're talking about. So here's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, now this I say, and I testify, underline this, in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. What he's saying is to these Gentiles, what he means here is pagans. Now look, he said, I say this, I'm testifying in the Lord that you must no longer live like pagans. And what does he say? He said, the pagans are, are futile in their minds. They don't have the mind of Christ. So you, you can't live that way anymore. What, what, what is he saying? Is he saying to these Gentiles, if, if they have been saved by grace through faith, that it changes the way they live? That's exactly what he's saying. But do you notice that he's being sure they understand that? Here's what he says about the pagans in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Don't be like those that, that, that hear, heard my message and rejected it. Don't be like them. Oh, so wh- why do they live the way they do, Paul? Oh, because they're not in Christ. So don't be like them. So they're not the example. So remember that when, when we've been transformed by Jesus and we now become his disciple, guess what example we look to now? Other disciples in Jesus. We don't look to the people we used to be with or the people that said, I'm going to take a pass on being a disciple of Jesus. I'm not going to do that. He says, don't look to that standard anymore because what? The standard changed. It's different now. And he says, they're ignorant. They, they, they've rejected this. Look what he says in 19. He says this. He says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Have you ever noticed this? And boy, look around. You see this throughout Scripture. Do you know what one of the signals you will always see? And we talked about this back, talking about false teachers and false prophets. You know one thing you'll always see in a depraved society? Sexual sin. It's prominent. It's always prominent. Anybody think we live in a depraved society? I mean, it's always a marker. And you know what I love about this when you talk about uh, Paul and writing these these letters? I love this one thing. This I, 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 this is not even in uh, the study in, inside this um, 
and we may get to it later in, inside this uh, devotion. But I love that what, what, what he said um, to, to the church at Corinth when he's talking to the sinners that are in the audience. Because I know in here I'm going to raise my hand. Uh, I, I was a wretched sinner that was redeemed by Christ. And, you, and Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. Now, this is in chapter 6. And he says to them in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor, nor, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor, nor, nor the revelers. That's people that party and raise cane all the time. I used to be one of those. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this. I love verse 11. And such were some of you. Were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were that way. He says, I'm telling you all these things that are going on. And a lot of you in the audience, say, I would have been sitting there looking at my buddies going, yeah, he's talking about us. And you once were that way. But you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. You once were that way. But you're not anymore. But you're not anymore. And this is what Paul's talking about over here in, to the Ephesians as well. He says, verse 20, But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's what they're living the way you used to live. You know, hey, I got news for you. If you become a disciple of Jesus and you're in the middle of people that are not, until you mature enough to have the possibility to go back and maybe reach them for Christ, you got to get out of there. They're not the standard anymore. I, I, I tell my kids all the time, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. You know, if, if I'm up here on the cliff and, 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 my, and, and i got a friend that, that, that's down there falling off the cliff, what's easier, me to pull him up to where I am or him to pull me down where he is? Pull him up to where I am is a lot harder. So until you got the strength to do that, you better leave that situation alone. And that's what he's saying. He said, you didn't learn. when you What, what did you learn from Christ? This is not the way that, this is not evidence of Christ to live the way these people live. And you can't live that way anymore. You've been transformed. And listen to this. I like when he says this. Like he says in the, uh, chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians when he says, test yourself to see if you really are of the faith, you know, Test yourself to see if you if it really looks like Jesus is in you. And then he always goes back and says, unless you don't pass the test. And here's what he says here. He says, but this is not the way you learn Christ, 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I'm assuming you know who Jesus is. Because what have we said all the time about why these Bible studies are so important? You, you can talk. How in the world, when, when he says to the disciple, go make disciples and teach them all that I have commanded you. Uh, go, go to your family, Dad, and teach them all that I've commanded you. Uh, uh, bathe your wife in the Word of God, Ephesians 5, uh, husband, and, and teach her all the things that I have commanded you. Uh, whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever place of influence the disciples been given to make other disciples, I got news for you. A disciple of Jesus cannot make that claim if he walks into a bunch of people and they say, tell us what Jesus has commanded you. And you go, I don't have any idea. Would you agree that you can't teach people something you don't know? I would find that to be impossible. I don't care how much of a daredevil of faith you are. If somebody says, will you teach me all the things Jesus has commanded you? Tell me what he's commanded you. I I really don't know. I've never really read the Bible. Really? You're a disciple of Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in Jesus and... I said a prayer one time, and uh, so did, you didn't, you didn't, you don't, that, did it not transform you? Not really. I just really have no desire to read the Bible. You know, I don't like to read. Yeah, but I didn't like to read the Bible either, but you know what I found out, though? is that I also, I knew a lot about everything that I actually liked and that I deemed of value. I was an expert in all those things. So I guess I found something to know. I, I did abide in everything I cared about. And when I became a disciple of Jesus and he transformed me, I began to abide in his word, not because I made the decision, hey, you know what, I, I, I finally found a way to do better. I'm, I'm all into the Bible now. I did that on my own. No, I just there was a supernatural draw to the word of God that I'd never had before. There was a supernatural draw to the church that I'd never had before. I guess that was Jesus because it surely wasn't me. 
And that's what he's talking about. He goes, you know, I'm assuming that you know the truth of Jesus. I, I, I'm assuming you're making a claim that, you, that you're with Christ, so why are you acting like a pagan? I'm assuming you know, but if you don't, let me correct you. So then he comes back and says this. Look, here it is. And he's, then he says, the truth is in Jesus. But then Paul says, let me tell you what the truth is. Look at 22. To put off your old self. Uh, the Greek actually says to put off the old man. Uh, but that means mankind. It applies to women as well. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This is really, it's really, now it's difficult to hear, but is it really hard to understand? It isn't to me. It seems to be a, a very straightforward concept that if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been transformed to the point that we don't recognize you anymore. And thankfully, over time, I can tell you that I've had some people say, let me tell you something about Burgess. I believe in Jesus now because of what he did to him. I mean, look, I used to be the guy that everybody say, you want to feel better about yourself? Go hang out with Rick. If you, if you, you can say to people, look, I, now look, I'm bad, but I ain't as bad as Rick. And people say, well, I understand what you're saying. So if someone looks over here and says, it's kind of like Gideon, when God kept telling Gideon, you still have too many people in the army. Your military is still too big. Everybody's going to keep thinking you did it. Let's take it down to the point that when we defeat this enemy, nobody thinks you did it. Well, if you look at the transformation in my life, you see the evidence of Jesus because you all all know that if you knew me, that I was nothing like the man I am now. Now, have I arrived? No. Am I pressing in? Yes. Am I going to continue to mature? Not on anything I'm going to do, but because I'm abiding in Jesus. He is changing me by the year. And he's bringing me along. As, as long as I'm willing, he is transforming. Because he really is that strong. And so what, what Paul is saying is, you've got to say goodbye to the old self. Why? Because it was corrupt because of the fall of mankind. And, and guess what? It has deceitful desires. The worst prayer you can pray, Lord, give me my desires. I don't like when I see people misuse the Bible that way. Can I tell you this? God is in, no, has no desire to give us our desires. None. You know why? Our desires can be deceitful. Now, if my desire is make me holy, yes. You know, you go back to John 15, talking about this, this abide again, and it's, it's, it's often misunderstood. When, well, let me see if I can find it, so I'll be sure I get it right. I just preached on this Sunday. So the 15, and 15, this, there's one statement that Jesus makes that the health, wealth, and prosperity folks abuse with their false theology. Uh, it's in 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, that means to remain in me, to be in agreement with we, me, to make, to make a decision to remain in me. If you abide in me, and my words, the Bible, abide in you, or his commandments, his teachings here, because he's talking to John, Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Well, Rick, look at that. He says uh, that, that just, you know, he'll give us whatever we want if we pray right. No, that's not what he said at all. What he said is, if you abide in me, don't miss that little word if. It's only got two letters, but it's huge. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. You know what he's saying? When we become a disciple of Jesus, we're so transformed by him that the more we abide in him and his word, guess what? We don't ask for anything that's not in his will. Our will becomes entwined in his will, and our will disappears. So what he's really saying is you'll start asking for the right things, and, you, and it'll be done. Lord, help me, help me, Lord, help me today to, to make disciples. Okay, I'll do that. Help me today, Lord, to become more holy. Done. Lord, help me today to get a raise at work. Eh, that may not be in my will. You're not, not asking for the right things. You know what you say? Lord, what did, what did Jesus tell us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know, and you know what we normally pray? My kingdom come and my will be done. You know what God says? I don't even hear that. But a disciple of his wouldn't pray that over time, so you won't pray like that anymore. And that's what Jesus is talking about because of how wonderful he is, not how strong we are. So 23, and he says, we had deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He says, now the spirit is renewing the way we think. You t we take on the mind of Christ and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There it is. So what's the new self look like? It is fully righteous and it's holy. Who makes us fully righteous? Jesus. He is, he is perfection. He is full righteousness. So then when we've been transformed, we've been, uh, we've been redeemed, we've been reconciled back to, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son reconciles us back to the Father, and then the evidence of that in their presence is the Holy Spirit that now takes over our spirit. So what that means is, you were not righteous. You were not holy. There's nothing you can do to become that way. Even a speck of you not getting this right cannot stand in the presence of my Holy Father. So I make you fully righteous. I make you holy. I escort you into the presence of the Father. But now he sees you through me. But boy, don't you walk up there without Jesus. See, see, where is that? Do you see that in your life? Do you see that, disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? He goes on to say in verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do an honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see what's happening here? He's saying, look, let no, no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as in, is good for building up, as, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and, clam, and, and slander and clamor be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Why do you think Paul writes this list? Do you think he's just like spitballing? And now oh, yet another thing. No, what he's saying is all these things show you the old self. H- have I overcome every single one of these? No, I haven't. A- a- am I changing, though, where these things don't exist in my life as they once did? Absolutely. Does the Holy Spirit correct me when I go back and say, you know what, I, I shouldn't have said that. That was, that was a wrong thing to say. Yes. And I see that going the more that, the more that I am sanctified, the more I grow. And, and, and I love when he says this. If, if we would follow these instructions, he says, don't give any opportunity to the devil. Uh, I, I can remember I had a, a, a falling out with a, a person who claimed to be a brother of Christ. I'm not his judge. I didn't know him long enough. The, the one particular thing that he did on this day, I didn't understand and didn't think it was the right thing, but that didn't mean he lives a life that way. might have just been a mistake that day. But he got upset with me, and this verse just jumped out. And I said, hey, man, I called him. I said, let's not let the sun go down today. Let's not, the sun should not set today without us reconciling this. Don't let this, be, don't let this build. Because you know, if you go home and pout, and, and this, you just don't get madder about it, madder about it, madder about it, and you know what you do then? You give opportunity to the devil. And Paul just said, don't give him an opportunity. Just head these things off. It, guys, we're going to make mistakes. But as a disciple of Jesus and a transformed person that is now in Christ, the minute that mistake happens, correct it. And then, and then you'll see these things become more natural for us because of the flow of, this, of the fruit that flows out of the Spirit in our life. You know what he says? Look, if you once were a thief, then don't steal anymore. You know, I mean, so what am I supposed to do, Rick? I remember the first time that I, I, I was talking to a young man that had, had made a decision for Jesus and I was talking to him. I was trying to get him started, and he just started a list. He says, "So, so, I, so I don't. I'm not supposed to. What am I supposed to do about uh, what's going on with me and my girlfriend?" Well, you got you stopped it. Uh, what, what about what about uh, my drinking to excess? That's going to stop. And I said, "But what you got to do right now is see. Don't run a list tonight. All you need to do tonight, you need to get down to the foot of the cross. You need to wrap your arms around Jesus and say, redeem me.'" Forgive me, change me. It ain't all gonna happen overnight. Redemption is the beginning. It is not the end. And too many times we treat this like it's the end, and we leave people disillusioned. And it's you know what it's like when you say that when you treat redemption like it's the end, not the beginning. You, it, now I know this is a harsh analogy, but it's true. Could you even imagine in your mind, you know, hey, we just had a new baby, and everybody's, hey, we got a new baby. 
and all of a sudden you just go and you leave and the baby's just laying out in the middle of a field and you're like, where did everybody go? Well, hey, you'll figure out how to crawl and walk and eat. And the baby just lays out there and goes, what? And that's what we do to people. We, 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 go, we get there, we talk to them, they, they, they repent of their sins, they, they, they confess Jesus as their Lord, and we say, hey, good luck to you. But what we need to tell them is, no, it's just beginning. We need to tell them things like, now your flesh is going to fight for its life. It, it, was, it, it was winning the games like homecoming games. Now your spirit's alive, so get ready. Let's get you into a Bible study. Hey, man, here's my cell phone. Let, let me tell you what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Hey, man, call me if you're confused. Let me walk with you because we must grow spiritually. And, and the reason why Paul, I think, is listening to this is not to, to make us feel down because I was reading that list right there, and I'm like, man, I got work to do. I think what he's trying to do, just like Jesus was showing us with the law, is you can't do it. You'll, you'll never run this list on your own to make it happen. You better abide in me. I make it happen. I change your attitude on all this stuff. It's a one-step program. It's Jesus. But it does require us spending time in his word, in prayer, and with him. All right, so let's, let's now talk about um, one of the things that we find in the disciple of Jesus, and part of that transformation is also truthfulness. And this was a struggle for me. Go to the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of John, and you can flip over there, uh, and we're going to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, talking about the transformation that is found. Here's one of the things that John says uh, in verse 44, and he's talking about um, uh, being truthful and not being liars anymore since we've been transformed. You are uh, talking about people who, who, uh, who lie. He says this in 44 to, uh, to these religious leaders. He say, you are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because he has no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So you look at this and you see what's happening right now. You see Jesus saying, you know, when you lie, and he's talking to these religious leaders and what they were saying about him. See, when you lie, you're showing who your father really is. Because when you're a liar, you're speaking the language of Satan because lying is his character. That's what he looks like. That's his language. So remember this. And I struggle with this because I was one of the biggest liars on the planet. You know why I lied all the time? Because I was always, I needed to get myself out of some sort of trouble I was in. And I would lie. I knew when I had, when I really become a liar before I was redeemed is when I started lying for things that really, why am I lying about this? I just would lie sometimes. You know, I remember an, an older guy said to me one time, he said, man, I understand a man lying to save his marriage or, or lying, you know, not to go to jail, but I don't understand lying about stuff that don't even matter. I mean, I got to where I just wouldn't be truthful about something trivial. I, I mean, it's like I didn't even know how to tell the truth anymore. And I remember sometimes thinking, why am I lying about this? This is not even a big deal. You know, hey, did you, did you go to eat at so-and-so? No, I wasn't there. Why did, why did I lie about that? I was so accustomed to God, I wasn't, even, I wasn't around there. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I was speaking the language of what? Who I belong to, the devil, because he's a liar. And part of my transformation has been that if I do lie or I'm not completely truthful, I come under incredible conviction when before it was just, that's just how I talked. And so remember that if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, you claim to be transformed, one of the things you'll see in the disciple of Jesus is truthfulness. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be rude. It doesn't mean you have to be mean. But remember this, if telling the truth bothers somebody, then you're okay. But now, if they're upset by the way you behave, that's different. But if it's not on you, if you're like, look, I'm, I'm just got to tell the truth here, then, then, then let come what may, because speaking the truth is speaking the language of our Heavenly Father. Speaking lies is speaking the language of the devil. That That's his language, and that's the words of Jesus. Now look at the... In chapter 8, go down to, uh, to 31 and 32, verses 31 and 32. So he says this. He says, so, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, here it is again, look, if, underline that, here's this word again, if you abide, man, I keep seeing this word everywhere. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, how many times have you heard that? Man, I'll tell you what, hey, the truth, truth set you free. That's not talking about just being dishonest. That's talking about Jesus. Because he says, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. So first of all, I've abided in his word and I understand what's true and what's not. Guys, do you realize how bad it is for us to be out there and somebody want to ask us what's true and what's not? We don't know. No, so it says, so, so when, you, when you abide in my word, as disciples do, you want to know who I am. You want to know what I've said. Because what is a disciple in the simplest definition? A disciple is someone who says what Jesus says to say and does what Jesus says to do. But you cannot say what Jesus says to say and do what Jesus says to do if you don't know what he said or what he did. That's impossible. So he said, abide in my word, and you will truly be my disciples, but you will know the truth when you abide in his word, and what? And then knowing that truth will set you free. Praise his holy name. It's a tough standard, but it's true. And being a disciple of Jesus is a tough standard. Look over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. And, and you know, this is one of those guys that I know all of us can relate to. But, you know, this is Peter when he's a little bit older. And remember, Peter, in the first letter he wrote, he's talking about the persecution of Nero that was coming. And Jesus, and we know in 2 Peter, what is Peter telling us? My time's almost up. Man, that always makes me emotional, just thinking about Peter, knowing that Jesus had walked with him and said, now look, there's going to come a day. He basically said, you're going to be martyred for me. But when that day happens, I'm going to be with you. So think about Peter living his life knowing Every time a knock came to the door, is this it? You know, I mean, because he knows he's going to be martyred. I mean, he's been told by Jesus he's going to be. Um, and so Second Peter, in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, this is the key, and disciples must be able to discern. If you've been transformed, you can discern Scripture. We'll get deeper in that in the study. But remember Second Peter, because we study both of these in this Bible study. Second Peter, he's not concerned about persecution from outside the church. In 2 Peter, he's concerned about false theology inside the church. Be careful of that. These Gnostics and all these weird, all this weirdo stuff is going to rise up. But this is a verses 3 through 11. Here's what he says. His divine power, talking about Jesus, because now he's, he's, he's making sure that we understand that we belong to Jesus, his church, his disciples. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Who does it? His power through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort, this is important, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now listen to eight. This is going to blow your mind. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so, so, it's, so it's, we're, we've never arrived, right? And are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you don't understand these things and you don't practice these things, you're acting like you were never redeemed. Therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will Never fail. Never? You remember me teaching on this before? Can you imagine if I, if I was doing the Rick and Bubba show and I said, hey, we got a new product. As a matter of fact, if you will do what this product says to do, you'll never fail. How many of those do you think you'd move? Well, here is Peter saying, look, guys, the disciples of Jesus, listen, in 11 he said, for in this, in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we look back, we see something that you don't, people don't like to talk about a lot. He's not talking to people that are lost. He's talking to the church. So what does he say? He says, for this reason, make every effort, talking about our past sinful desires. Why? Because we're not glorified yet. We've been transformed. We've been justified. We've been in the, and we're being, being transformed, but we're yet to be glorified. 
So he says, so know that you still have a sinful nature in your flesh that's still there. For this reason, make every effort, underline that, there's action again, to supplement your faith. I'm supplementing my faith? Yes. By taking action. What action? Well, you need to be sure that you're pursuing virtue. There there doesn't need to be any lack of integrity of your faith. Be sure that your virtue is supported by what? The knowledge of the faith. Be sure that knowledge is supported with what? Self-control. Be sure that self-control is, is, is supplemented with what? Steadfastness, meaning I'm immovable. I am a disciple of Jesus. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And then let that steadfastness be supplemented with what? Godliness. You see the order he's doing this? This is not a random order. And what some of us try to do is we go, I think I need to become more godly. Well, don't start there. You start with virtue, then with knowledge, then with self-control, then with steadfastness, then you'll get to godliness. And then he says, and then godliness, well, you, I, I can't, I'm not a good brother to you guys. I don't love you if I don't start at the beginning. If I just woke up one day and said, I need to start loving people more. I need to love the brothers of the faith. Have you, are, are you virtuous? No, not really. Are you steadfastness? Do you have steadfast? No. Do you have self-control? Do you have knowledge? No. Well, well then you're never going to love them because you haven't followed the, the steps. And then what? Brotherly affection turns into just love, the right kind of love in general. He said, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, what? It keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful. I'm not trying to tell you all what to do, but I'd have a highlighter out right now, and I'd have some kind of something underlining this because it's big. It's big. Hey, hey, has the Bible got some way for me to go through? Yeah, yeah, right here. Remember, they're not talking to lost people. Lost people can't even, that's not even, that's not a message for lost people because they, first of all, they got to be redeemed. They got to be justified before we get to this. All right, we're almost out of time. So I, I would be highlighting all that, uh, disciples. So let's go to 1 John. Oh, I can spend, I've spent so much time in 1 John. I feel like that God has taken 1 John and just beat me over the head with it. I mean, he's got me in 1 John. Every time I turn around, I'm in 1 John. And there's a reason, because this is John saying, because you know what one of the things John talks about? We're seeing it everywhere right now. What does he say? Hey, these people that are falling away, they never were with us. They were fake. They were never with us. You can't go, well, that's kind of surprising. This person fall, fell away. I'll tell you why they fell away. They never were with us. So he talks about this claim to be a disciple in First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll close. We're almost done. Chapter 3, 1 John 1 through 3. He says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That's glorification. Underline that, glorification. That has not happened yet. But we know when He appears, we shall be like him. What do we say? It is predestined that we'll be Christ-like if we've been truly redeemed because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. Why? Because he is pure. He makes us pure. Don't forget. Remember we did a knowing God about adoption? Our transformation from the old to the new is, is complete, but our glorification is yet to come. So we, we have to live our life as a disciple of Jesus, understanding that transformation is preparing us for glorification. So let me ask you this. Session one of discovering what it means to be a disciple. Look at your life right now, and do you see transformation? Is there any difference in the way that you once were and the way you are in Christ? If the answer is yes, well, then step one of what it means to be a disciple is there. You've been transformed. If not, then that needs to be resolved because the rest of what we're going to be teaching now is not going to apply to you because you're not a disciple. Because the first thing that we look for, and it's almost like you keep looking and go, yep, I'm good, keep going. Have you been transformed by Christ? If not, then let's do something about it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we all assess ourselves and see if we see the transformation that only you provide. 
If there's anyone watching this, listening to this, or in this room that says, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I do. Well, I, 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 just, I, just, I, just, I just I beg you right now to just have a sincere heart. You can't save yourself. You can't transform yourself. Just with a sincere heart, say, Lord Jesus, I, I confess that I am, am, am full of sin. I do not see your transformation because I, I, my life hasn't changed. But today, with the, the, the sincere heart, the, as sincere as I can understand, I repent of my sins. I turn a 180 from my sins. And I turn to you, and I submit to your lordship. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, I ask you to transform me. Just transform me. I die to myself. I, I, I deny myself. I pick up my cross. I want to be crucified with you. I want to be buried with you, but I want to be raised in your resurrection to a new life. I want the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Lord, that you forgive me of my sins as I confess you as my Lord, and I ask you to change me. Transform me into something more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If I can help you in any way, uh, rick at rickandbubba.com, and we'll come back next Wednesday, Lord willing, and we'll jump into the next uh, thing we should look for and uh, the disciples of Christ. If you claim to be a disciple, also what we need to do is surrender. And we'll cover that next week. Thanks for being with us.